Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 58. Happy New Year, and welcome to the Medical School HQ Podcast. This is the podcast to learn how to excel as a pre-med student, learn what it takes to survive medical school, and turn your dreams of becoming a physician into reality. We're bringing you the most unbiased, honest, and accurate information available online today. Hello, folks, and Happy New Year. This podcast is coming out on January 1st, 2014. And for this podcast, I have, as not always, but as a lot, my lovely co-host, Allison. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. So today we wanted to talk about what happened in 2013 at the medical school headquarters, highlight a lot of the guests that we had on and talk about maybe some of the interviews that you missed. Talk about what we did in 2013 and where we hope to go in 2014. So it'll be a recap. Hopefully it'll be enjoyable. If you don't want to listen to us, check us out next week where we'll be talking about the MCAT and what to do if you need to retake it. We have an awesome interview with a uh, MCAT expert. So before we get started, I do want to say thank you to the one five-star review that we got this week by Taylor Hinchy. And Taylor seems to be out of the 70s. Taylor says groovy. And Taylor also said that that uh, he or she, sorry, Taylor, I don't know, guy or girl, that they're trying to make the podcast an unofficial or official uh, part of their pre-med curricula. So that would be pretty awesome. And that kind of highlights something that I want to talk about. And that talks about where we want to go as a podcast and as a website. But before we talk about where we want to go, let's talk about where we've been. 2013, Allison, we 
we're up to 59, 59, this is 58, 58 podcasts, and 55 of those, I think, were all in 2013. Actually, no, it couldn't be. 52. There's 52 weeks in a year, aren't there? (laughs) Yes, there are. All right. 52 of them were in 2013. And so that's pretty, pretty crazy. And with those 52 episodes, we've had over 60,000 podcast downloads. Can you believe that? That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. That means people have been sticking us in their ears with their earbuds or plugging us into their car and driving along and and listening to what we have to say. And, And I feel... I feel privileged to be able to talk to people and inform them and educate them, and hopefully it's sinking in and everybody's learning a ton. Absolutely. We're so grateful for all of you out there who are listening to us every week, or even if you've listened to us just once or twice, we find it such a privilege to be able to bring you advice and guidance and anything we have uncovered that we think will help you on your path. So thanks for listening in. Yeah. So 60,000 downloads. And I want to tell you, 60,000 downloads, I want 120,000 downloads next year. And I think it's possible. We'll obviously have twice as many podcasts because we'll be out for two years. I I consider this just a year-old podcast, even though we started our our first podcast episode released like the last day of November 2012. So I consider this just a year-old. And so... and. 2014, I want 120,000 downloads, if not more. But to do that, I need your help. We need your help. If you're listening to this right now, you obviously found us somehow. So I want, I'm requesting your help to let that next pre-med student, let the next medical student find out about us. Shoot them an email post it on your Facebook page, shoot out a tweet. Wherever you go online, wherever you go offline, let people know. Say, hey, I I found this great podcast. I found this great website. Check it out. Your pre-med advisor is a great place. Say, hey, did you know about this podcast? Maybe other pre-med students can learn from this podcast. Here's what I've learned. So as we're helping you on your path to becoming a physician, you can help us on our path to reaching our goals of 120,000 downloads next year. Absolutely. And and along with that, we had two, over 220,000 or almost 220,000 uh, visitors, page views on the website, which is awesome. And I think we can double that next year too. So we'll, we'll uh, request your help in that as well. And if you guys have any thoughts or ideas about things that you want to hear in this next year that you've been itching to ask about or wondering about and you want us to devote a podcast to that topic, please let us know. We're always excited about sharing new content with you. So send us an email, a tweet, Facebook post, whatever it is, and and let us know what you want to hear about. Yeah. So let's tell them how to do that. So feedback, general feedback. They can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash feedback. There you can... Uh, leave us a voicemail feedback that we can play on the podcast. You can go to the show notes for every episode and and leave your comments for the episodes there. The show notes page is always medicalschoolhq.net slash and then the the session number. So today's session is 58. So it'd be medicalschoolhq.net slash 58. And then you can shoot us a tweet 
I am at medical school HQ. Allison is at Allison underscore MSHQ. We need to get her more active on Twitter. <laughs> she needs to learn this. I'm old thing. school. I like email, but I'm, I'm getting into the Twitter thing. <laughs> the Twitter. Are you on the Twitter? Good job. All right. I'm aging myself. Yes. Uh, we're also on Facebook, medical school, uh, um, facebook.com slash medical school HQ. So lots of ways to reach us. And as 2013 is coming to a close and we open up 2014, we want to engage with you guys even more than before. So uh, one last thank you for everything you have done for us this year. And as we move forward, hopefully we are doing uh, as much for you guys as well. So Allison, today we're going to recap five of our, some of our most downloaded podcasts and ones that we thought reverberated well with our listeners. Obviously, they're downloaded a ton. So we're going to cover five of those. We'll mention a couple other ones along the way. Uh, let's go ahead and get started with that. Sound good? Sounds good. Bring on best of 2013. <laughs> so so the first one I'm going to play was back from session 19, and it's with Dr. Wagner. And she's a she's not a physician. She's a PhD in anatomy. But she is, I, I called her an admissions and interview expert. She has been the admissions, the dean of admissions at three different medical schools. So she knows all about what it takes to get into medical school, what medical schools are looking for as they're processing uh, applications and, and how they narrow it down. And, and that's what we're going we're gonna to play a little clip here and uh, just listen to what she talks about as she, she talks about what admissions committees are looking at to, to think about who they're going to invite for an interview. How do you narrow that group of applications? Well, the initial weight goes to the grades and the MCATs because that's the only standard measure across the board for all applicants. Now, that's where students wind up feeling that only the grades and the MCATs count. And it's really, I mean, admissions is a competitive process. There's no two ways about it. Uh, You know, when you have close to 19,000 students or close to 20,000 students entering medical school, that means roughly half of the pool is going to be interviewed and the other half won't. And so, you know, there is sort of, um, you know, you begin sort of looking at the highest grades and the highest MCATs, and and as you review the application in total, you try to pick, because you're doing a holistic admissions process, you're trying to, to invite those top students first because all the schools are going to go after those students. And then you work your way down the process. So, you know, when I'm counseling students, I always say to them, you know, look, if you've got a 3.4 and a 30 in your combined MCATs, you're not going to be the first off the block they're going to invite to interview. You're probably looking at January or February in an application year. So, you know, you try to give them some assurance that there's opportunity out there, but there are certainly a lot of students with high GPAs and high MCATs. Now, one of the things we do know about the GPA is that there's tremendous grade inflation, and that's been going on across the board. So it sort of shifted the weight in some respects to the MCAT. Now, the MCAT does show success on those who can pass step one. And of course, that's a critical piece 
for students uh, in being able to really get into residency anymore. I mean, that's sort of the bottom line. They must pass that step one, and they need to do it on the first time. So that was Dr. Wagner. Allison, what do you think about that? Well, I just love this interview because I think of her as like the ideal person that you'd want to happen to sit down next to you on an airplane. That if you could just listen to her all day long as a pre-med, your world would seem so much easier. I think she highlights a lot, even in that clip right there about the key things that you should be thinking about as a pre-med and also highlighting the challenges that medical schools have when they're trying to narrow down who they need to interview, who they should interview. So I think an important take-home point is that it's not just about the GPA and the MCAT. She mentioned the word holistic, that it's a holistic application process. Yes, they use those numbers to try to start somewhere as a standard, but they're also looking for those other things that you bring to the table. Yeah, one of the things that that I liked was the fact that she mentioned how medical schools are competing against each other for those top applicants. So you think you're only competing against other pre-meds when the medical schools are out there competing against each other. So it's pretty crazy. Absolutely. It's it's very easy as a pre-med to feel like you're just on the very bottom of the totem pole, just begging for somebody to think about you or read your application over a few times and actually consider you. But remember that it, you're also being recruited. Yeah. So that was an awesome interview. And we, we covered a lot in depth about interviewing and, and what it's like on interview day. So if you're coming up for a medical school interview soon or next year, Take a listen to that. That's medicalschoolhq.net slash 19. The next one we have is the first podcast that you were on is episode seven. And it's interesting to go back and listen to what was your first podcast and what was my seventh at that point and to hear how how much of a, a rookie we both were on the microphone. Yeah, I absolutely love this podcast because I think it's it really does highlight some of these great traits that you need as a medical student. But as a podcaster, it's a little bit uncomfortable to sit and listen to it because I hear my voice and just how different it sounds now. So, but that's okay. That's just okay. like anything in life, you get better at things. So, <laughs> you got to start somewhere. So, this was episode 7. This is actually our most downloaded podcast uh of all time out of all 57 of them so far. And we talk about the traits needed to be a good medical student. And in this one trait, we specifically talk about humility. Humility is an extremely important quality. And um, it's not necessarily something you teach um, or that you can learn. But I think it's something that you need to try to learn if if you're not someone who who is humble. Um, You know, as you progress... Uh, through medical school and as a physician, what you learn is that it's extremely important to um, be a good team player. You'll work with a lot of different um, healthcare providers, including nurses, technicians, um, therapists of different kinds, um, and then your own peers and colleagues of different levels. Um, and it's extremely important that you you know, remember that you have a lot to bring to the table because you have spent those hours studying, you know, you you have um, really devoted yourself and you know a lot, but you always have to remember that there is, there's always more to know. And the minute that you, I always tell my patients this too, I say the minute that you meet a physician who tells you, um, you know, that they know all there is to know about a subject, that's, 
that's the time to move on to a different person, um, a different physician. Because like I said earlier, you know, being a physician is about being a lifelong learner and you need to always know that there are people around you and in the world who probably know more than you. So it's really important to just, you know, be the best that you can be and challenge yourself to be the best, the most knowledgeable, you know, but have the humility to realize that there are a lot of other people around you that also have skills and knowledge. So there you have it. One of the most important, I think, we think, traits of being a good medical student and also a good physician And in addition to humility, Ryan and I highlighted uh, six others, which include discipline, persistence and drive, being a team player, which we nicely segued from when we were speaking about humility, being bright, adaptable, empathic. There are actually uh, more than seven here. Sorry, there are quite a few. But take a listen, because I think that they really do give you a, a nice spectrum of some of the really important qualities to have as a medical student. Yeah, that was that was a good one and and it's interesting to find out that out of all of our podcasts that one's downloaded the most and I I wonder why that is. I think maybe it's just the the headline there 10 traits that you need. I think pre-med students are always looking for what is that that special thing that you need to succeed and to get into medical school and be successful and become a physician. So maybe it's the headline. Maybe you guys, you should write in and tell us what it is about that episode. I'm guessing it's not how stellar my voice sounded on it. You sound much better now. You were fine then, but you're much better now. (laughs) Uh, But it is, I think it's a fun podcast to listen to. That's a good episode. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what I thought would have been one of the more downloaded and listened to podcasts. And it is, but it's not the most. This one was with Chris Manuel. He's an, an an MCAT expert from the Princeton Review. He's been teaching the MCAT for, I think, 11 years now. And he talks about, he talks all about the MCAT during this, this podcast episode. And this is back in episode 17. And this specific clip that we're going to play he talks about the importance of test-taking skills. And so I'm really big on test-taking skills. I mean, there are certain questions on the MCAT that I already know what the answer is before I even read the question, just based off the answer choices. So <clears throat> what I, the way my kind of teaching philosophy is, it's a balancing act between content and test-taking skills. The material that I'm going to review, it doesn't go past Physics 1, Physics 2, GCHEM 1, GCHEM 2, so on and so forth. So the material itself is not hard. It's the way that I ask questions that makes it difficult. And the typical pre-med, they want to read, memorize, regurgitate, purge, repeat. And they just keep doing that. So they don't actually understand what's being asked. And what the MCAT is very good at is if you don't understand a particular topic, they can ask questions that require you to either make an educated guess, right, gather information from the passage, or it's straight up, hey, I'm a good test taker. I can eliminate answer choices. And that's what I am. I'm very good at eliminating answer choices. And the reason I was able to do so well is my physics knowledge, while lacking, I was able to apply my test taking skills. And back when I took the MCAT, which has been many, many years, is actually the paper and pencil test, I'm pretty confident that I missed six questions on my MCAT in its entirety. And five of those were physics questions. And once again, I don't know absolutely, but that's what I think occurred. So my physics knowledge is very, very weak uh, in terms of understanding because I did what the typical pre-med does. I memorized a bunch of material, but I was able to apply it because of my test-taking skills. 
So, Chris, I think starts to hit on and, and nails what what I always say and and what the research shows is test taking skills for the MCAT is hugely important. And it's because the MCAT tests your ability to comprehend what's being asked and analyze the question. There was a, a big 2008 research article that came out in the Journal of Science, which we've talked about before. Every time we talk about the MCAT, we mention this article. And it, it showed how the MCAT had the least amount of content-based questions, meaning you didn't have to know everything about everything. You just had to be able to comprehend and analyze what was being asked. And so that's why test-taking skills, specifically for the MCAT, are very important. Yeah, and not everybody out there is a good test taker just starting out. And so some of these courses can be really helpful because they do teach you how do I become a good test taker. Any good student can really learn material, but it's like Chris is saying, just being able to regurgitate that ma- that material is not going to cut it on the MCAT. It's not going to likely result in, in a high score. So even if you're out there and you're not signing up for one of these courses like the Princeton Review or Kaplan, it's a good idea to maybe listen to this podcast, hear from Chris and uh, learn about his tricks, what he knows and, and can teach us about how we can all become better test takers so that when you sit down to take that MCAT, if you're on the computer these days, not with pen and paper anymore, you can really rock it. Yeah, I took it with pen and paper. So did I. We're old. Yeah, we're old. We're dating ourselves. But yeah, so next week's podcast, session 59 is all about the MCAT as well. Uh, more specifically, retaking the MCAT, but we do talk about a lot of those skills that are necessary to do well on the MCAT. So if you're struggling, go listen to 17, medicalschoolhq.net slash 17, and then uh, listen next week for episode 59. And as we say, always respect the MCAT. Respect the MCAT, yes. So the next podcast that we're going to highlight is session 32. It's another one with me and you talking about thing the, the seven things that medical students should know. And the one that we're going to highlight here is know that when you're on the wards, that you don't have time to read a textbook. So how do you learn all that material? So next, we have what I like to call, and it's, I think it's more of a business term, just-in-time learning. And it relates to the fact that when you start your clinical years, you're going to have plenty of books to read. And the I think the, the overall consensus is that you can't sit there and read a book from start to finish and, during your clinical years and expect to learn it all. What you need to do during your clinical years is learn from your patients. When, you, when you're when you on your internal medicine rotation and you see a diabetic patient that has diabetic neuropathy, go read about diabetic neuropathy. If you have a surgical patient that has uh, some cool uh, something or other, go learn about that. Go learn and read about what your patients are currently uh, being treated for, and that will help ingrain that into your head a little bit more, but it also help when you're on rounds and 
you're you're being pimped, which if you don't know what being pimped is yet, you you will shortly. It's when when kind of the attending calls or the resident calls you uh, calls you out and asks you questions and expects you to know things, and and so that that just in time learning and learning what your patients are presenting with will help you kind of shine a little bit more on rounds. And you'll retain that information better. So when I was an intern, uh, I remember asking one of my attendings a similar question about how was I going to uh, learn all of this knowledge about internal medicine in that one year I had before uh, entering my neurology residency. And he said just what Ryan said, which is, Uh, make sure that you read about a topic as you're admitting a patient. So I was already a doctor at that point. So I was admitting I was responsible. Um, But uh, it goes back to in medical school, too, when you're just as Ryan said, when you're seeing patients on the wards, I think uh, in medical school, the other thing to know in the clinical years, it's not to say that you shouldn't read books. I think what we're saying is don't sit down and try to open Harrison's principles of medicine and try to start reading it cover to cover. There's no way you'll retain all of it. It'll be out of context. It's not going to be useful to you and your, your brain just, it won't stick again, unless you're some boy or girl genius who has some kind of, you know, memory that you see it once you know it forever. Um, it's not practical. So uh, there are shelf exams uh, during each um, clinical rotation in medical school. The, the big ones like medicine, surgery, OBGYN, neurology, psychiatry. Um, and those uh, shelf exams, you do need to have clinical material books to read. Um, so one of the great book series uh, that we all used uh, was called Case Series. And uh, I think it was Case Series or Case Files. Those are great books. Uh, they're really, they, they have clinical vignettes in them and they ask you questions afterwards and that's a great way to, to focus in on the key uh, diseases, the key um, pathophysiology that you need to know for uh, the subject matter that you're learning. So it, I think Ryan and I aren't saying don't read. I mean, of course, um, you know, you need to have a, a book that you're that you're keeping with you, a high yield book uh, throughout each of your clinical rotations. But take the opportunity when you're seeing patients to hone in and and learn about that disease process because you'll you'll learn about your patient and you'll never forget them. You'll remember these patients years later. It's still true today. <laughs> yeah. When I'm going to work every day, I try to use that same motto. So I think this information in this podcast, this episode, you can carry with you as you become a physician throughout your career. And there are quite a few of these in this episode, uh, key things that medical students should know. They Others, just to highlight for you, if you're listening for the first time to this episode, they include taking care of yourself, which is extremely important. Uh, knowing how important step one is. So just like the MCAT is so important when you're a pre-med, step one of the USMLE exam is the key exam that medical students need to do very well on. Or, for, or level one for the correct, osteopathic yes. students. Uh, very true. I apologize. My default is always allopathic because that's how I was trained. But thank you, Ryan, for highlighting that. I got the osteopaths back. Yes, he does. <laughs> I do too. I love you all. So that board exam is is very important. We also talk about residency application timing and when you need to start thinking about research or how to figure out if your specialty wants research for residency. And also just the key point that when you go into medical school, it's a whole new world. It's not like college. It's not like anything else. And there's kind of a whole different kind of smart. So you may have been your valedictorian and you got through high school and even college maybe without 
blinking an eye, but when you get to medical school, you're surrounded by people who probably did the same exact thing. So it's, I think, helpful for those of you who are looking toward starting in medical school in the coming year, and also for the, for those of you who are already in medical school. Yeah. I think that was a, I, I like that episode a lot. So hopefully there's some good information for people. And again, that was episode 32, which you can find at medicalschoolhq.net slash three two. So the last one that we're going to highlight and play a clip from, and maybe we can talk about a couple other ones quickly, but the last one that we have a clip for is session 32 with Dr. Politis from Wash U. And this was the second time that I had him on the podcast. He was first on the podcast back in session 23. But in 35, he wanted to come back and talk about what happens when a pre-medical student kind of stumbles out of the gate and doesn't do as well as they want from the get-go. You know, medicine is a field where not everything is going to go your way all the time. You have to be somebody who, who you know, stays steadfast and doesn't give up. And I think that if you, if you start out in medicine and you don't do quite as well as you, or pre-med, I should say, and don't do as quite as well as you want, you just have to ask yourself, how badly do I want this? And what do I need to do to really focus and, and do well? There are a lot of things that, that um, contribute to a student not doing well early in college. And I think uh, it's important that you know schools give the guidance they need to give to students uh, early on so they make sure they, they do stay focused. Yeah, there's, there, there are a lot of things. That Budweiser, Miller Lite. Yes. <laughs> No, but I, I think that's a, a common, uh, as you said, you, you have a lot of students and, and you're now in an admissions kind of role at Wash U. So, so you have students coming to you and you also were part of the FlexMed program at, at the undergrad. Mm-hmm. So students come to you and, and are, are frantic and I, I got a C, I got a D, what do I do? Should I give up my hope. What do you, what do you say to them at that point? Well, I think first of all, uh, you know, you have to look at, you know, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses? And you have to look at their overall academic performance. Uh, some students will come and they have, you know, uh, one, you know, blip in their record. And it's simple. It's as simple as telling them just to keep moving forward and continue to try to do as well as you can. Others may have started out and did very poorly in the first year, year and a half. And then uh, then you have to have a different plan. And that's when you really have to have a, an organized, thoughtful post, post-back plan for them. Okay, so it's more along the lines. And I've, I, I gave a talk recently, about a month ago, and I talked about correcting course. It constantly monitoring where you are and correcting course as needed. So for somebody that starts off undergrad and and maybe tackles a little bit too much all at once, they get a C in a course. I, I think the typical uh, it, psychology has us kind of go, oh, that's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep pushing and fighting and I'll do better. But would you recommend for them to go seek help immediately to say, hey, what should I do right now instead of waiting another year when they get another C and another C? 
Absolutely. I, I think if you, um, because oftentimes what students do is they don't know what resources are available for them to do well. And I recommend to all freshmen coming into college uh, for you to make use of every re- resource that's available to you, even though you think you may not need it. So utilize the tutoring services that are available. You know, when you go to a tutor, oftentimes these are students who did well in the courses that you're taking uh, and they kind of know the tricks of the trade in terms of of what you need to do to prepare well, uh, to do well in that course. And um, I think that if you have a pre-health advising system at your school uh, where you have pre-health advisors that are very involved, uh, you can really get good guidance and a good plan. So that was Dr. Politis again. And I think what, out of all of that, I like what he said at the end the most. When you're starting on your path, go and reach out to people that you probably would never reach out to before. Again, as we as we said just a minute ago, as a as a medical student, when you're starting medical school, you were probably one of the smartest kids in your undergrad doing uh, well in all of your courses. You never really maybe had to reach out for help. But what we want you to do is go and initiate those contacts. Go say hello to the pre-med advisor one of the first weeks on campus and say, hi, my name's Joe. I'm going to be a pre-med student. Here's what I'm majoring in. Do you have any uh, general advice for me as I start? Uh, Hopefully I don't need to ask a ton of questions later, but I just want to introduce myself just in case. And and start that conversation. Introduce yourself. And just the act of doing that, you'd be surprised the type of information, the type of help that people will offer you and the, the stuff that you'll learn just from from stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. I would say when things when you're just starting out and also when things are not going well, don't hide. Don't go to the library and curl up in a ball and just keep plugging. You really want to use your resources. Stop, take a breath, take a step back and say, what is not going well here? How can I fix it? And the key thing being, what other resources can I use to help me? Yeah. All right. So those were the five podcasts that we wanted to highlight that we thought were awesome in 2013. They were near or at the top of our download list. So you guys thought they were awesome as well. What what podcasts did you like? Let us know. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash five eight. Let us know what podcast you liked. Yeah, we would love to hear which uh, were your favorite episodes. Maybe some of uh, some of these were your not favorite episodes. Let us know. We'd be very interested to hear. Yeah. So Allison, do you have any, any other podcasts that you liked that we uh, didn't highlight today? Well, there are a lot looking at our list of 58 podcasts here that I really, really enjoyed. But there are a couple that I think I would just highlight as we sign off on 2013. One is the episode uh, or session 47, which is avoiding burnout as a pre-med, med student and beyond. And part of why I love this podcast episode so much is that it Medicine and being a pre-med, being a medical student, the whole journey toward becoming and staying a physician is a very difficult one. It's a very demanding path, and medicine really is a calling. So once you've hit some hurdles in the road, if you if this is what you intend to do with your life and you're determined, you're going to stick with it. But along that way, it can get very tiring and 
medicine is one of the fields in in the world that is prone to people are prone to getting really burnt out. So in this part. This episode, Ryan talks with Dr. Uh, Dyke Drummond, who really shows us some some actual techniques about how we can avoid burnout as pre-meds and medical students and physicians. So I love this one. I think that it is applicable to anybody who listens to our podcast at any stage, no matter where you are. Yeah, the the squeegee breath is what he teaches us. Yes. And I, I do it with him on the podcast. So that was that was fun for me. And uh, you can't help but smile at the end of that squeegee breath. So <laughs> definitely, um, yeah. It, I I think what what you just said and what he highlighted was the fact that in medicine and and other fields in healthcare, any other fields where you are basically taught to and you're you're prone to put others others' needs in front of yours. So nurses are prone to this. Physicians are prone to this. Obviously, other healthcare providers. Um, are prone to this, so it's almost a demand of the the whole profession of healthcare in general because you are taking care of other people. So if you're really trying to do your best, you're going to be putting other people b- before you. But the thing you have to be careful of is that taking care of yourself doesn't completely go out the window. Yeah, because again, if you can't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of anybody else? Yeah. So that's one of my other favorites, and there's another one here way back earlier in 2013. Ryan interviewed the associate dean and coordinator of academic affairs at Columbia's post-bac pre-med program, Dr. Victoria Rosner. And I just find listening to Dr. Rosner so inspiring. She, You can just tell listening to her in this interview how much she cares about her student population and how excited she is about what she does. So I just found this to be a particularly inspiring podcast to listen to. Yeah. And Columbia was the first post-bac program in the country. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So there was one other one that I really liked that we didn't highlight. And that's episode 26. Did we mention the last episode for Dr. Rosner? That was episode 10. Yes, episode 10. So medicalschoolhq.net slash 10. The one I wanted to mention was episode 26, and that was an interview with two osteopathic medical students that wrote what is called a brief guide to osteopathic medical school, osteopathic medicine. And it's now published by uh, ACOM, the, the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine. And they we we talk about the six the six myths of osteopathic medicine. So if you're out there thinking about going to DO school, it's a great episode to listen to. And uh, uh, I think a lot of students, their relatives, their their family members are confused when a student goes, "Hey, I'm going to a DO school." And and I've heard and and I think on that episode we talk a lot about. Uh, some rejection from family members going, well, I thought you wanted to be a doctor. And so take a listen to that episode again, number 26, and and learn really what it's like to be an osteopathic medical student and an osteopathic physician. Yeah, that's a good one too. So folks, that's going to wrap it up for 2013. We hope you had a great year and I hope you learned a ton from listening to the podcast and from the the website as a whole. What are your goals for 2014? Let us know. Let us know what you're looking forward to in 2014, what you're shooting for in 2014. 
if you're just starting medical school and, and you're nervous, let us know and maybe we can help. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 58 and uh, leave a comment and, and let us know. And tell us in this next year what you want to hear about. We want to bring you the best information that we can and information that's exciting and maybe sometimes entertaining, but always informative and up to date. So let us know what you want to hear about. And thank you to all of you who have written in during this year to let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about. We are hard at work on uh, getting those ready for you in the new year. Yeah. And one last plug, I want to call it, is the Academy. We opened the Academy back in September, and for those of you that don't know what the Academy is, it's our our private membership site for pre-medical students and medical students where we offer monthly live question and answer uh, video chats. We offer live monthly webinars. We offer a specialty series of interviews with physicians and, and so much more. We have a community there of a little more than 50 students right now. We quietly reopened the doors a couple weeks ago. So start your new year right. Come check us out at, at uh, jointheacademy.net to see what it's all about. We would love to see you there. So on that note, I hope you learned a ton today. I hope you can uh, go back and, and catch up on the podcast that you might have missed. Don't forget to subscribe to us in iTunes. That's the best way to stay up to date with everything that we are offering. If you're not on an iOS device, there are other things that you can use, like Double Twist on Android, or you can catch us on Stitcher. But I hope we provided some more information for you today, and I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. (laughs) 